Welcome to a podcast on marketing. I'm your host, Jordan Ogren, and this is a podcast where we talk about marketing. First question, who are you and what do you do? Thanks for having me, Jordan. So I am Nick Bennett. I am the director of field partner in community marketing at Alice. We're a B2B gifting platform. Um, I'm also kind of big on evangelism SMEs in kind of the, uh, the B2B world and MarTech and sales tech, but I've been doing it for the last 10 years for various tech companies all over uh, globally, actually. So super excited to be here. Nice. And where are you uh, based out of? Uh, Boston. Nice. Nice. Are you a Patriots, Red Sox, uh, Penguin. I don't even know any of the teams. Are you? Oh, yeah, uh, I am a huge uh, New England sports fan. Yeah. yeah, Patriots, Red Sox, Celtics, Bruins. Um, I'm a huge, I actually still play baseball okay. myself uh, in like a 30 plus league. So you c- every Sunday morning from April to October, wow. I'm out there nine innings, a, nine innings a week. So That's crazy. And you, you created or were one of the people who started that. I was reading about that on your profile, right? Yeah, wow. yeah, it's 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 been crazy. I mean, I've been playing baseball since I was four years old. I played through high school, went to college to play, wow. hurt my arm, but I, I'm a lefty pitcher. I used to be able to throw about 87, 88 miles an hour. That's fast. And um, when I hurt my arm, I was like, I'm never going to the pros. So I didn't get surgery. And I'm lucky to throw like low 70s now. That's that's still way faster than I could. Uh, I sucked. I was I played baseball as well. I didn't pitch, but I had to pitch sometimes. My strategy was just you know use some like crazy tactics. I couldn't throw that fast, and uh, someone hit a grand slam on me, and I'm kind of still waiting for the ball to come down, but it's somewhere out there. Just mm, no, that's cool, man. That's really cool. I enjoy to hear more about people than marketing, even though a lot of marketing people are just like so into it that they like piss and shit marketing. Um, it's nice to hear that you're a little you got some cool stuff going on. That's really cool. Yeah. So other than baseball and kind of continuing to play it, what things are you or what thing are you obsessed with right now? You know, probably in marketing business that you just like, I can't stop geeking out, doing it, researching it. Does anything come to your mind? Yeah, I think evangelism, honestly. And the reason I can tell you why, I've been a field marketer my whole life. And so I've been posting on LinkedIn for two years. Field marketing is the path that I took. Like there was such a misconception of what it was, but I had a couple calls recently with just people that I've really looked up to. And they were like, what do you want to do? Do you want to be a CMO? Do you like, do you want to move into other areas of marketing? And I said, no, I said, I think I want to go into evangelism. And I think that there's always been advocacy and evangelism for like IT companies, engineers, developers, things like that. But when you look at MarTech and sales tech, there isn't really those types of roles. However, I've been talking to a bunch of CMOs and VPs of marketing that are planning to double down on that as a role this year. And like, really, I mean, people think about it differently, but for me, it's like, you're that subject matter expert for prospect calls, for customer calls, for speaking engagements. Um, you have the advocacy from social for both internal and external, the community for both internal and external. So, I mean, it all plays in to like the larger piece, but I think companies are going to definitely double down on that this year. Was there um, a way of it before? Like what was evangelism before? Was that getting the rock to do a commercial and like wearing your brand everywhere? Or what was evangel? or is it totally a new category being created? I feel like it's, it was a little bit of everything. I feel like it's partly customer marketing to like get people to, you know, the brand loyalty piece of it, surprise and delight. I think it's part influencer marketing, like the rock or, you know, you get people like, 
Gary V that are doing something with you. And I feel like influencers are great, but the micro influencers, the people that have that, like, I would say 15 to 50,000 follower range on, on LinkedIn are like, you know, they're the people that are charging cheap money to do stuff. You can do some really, really cool stuff. And like, I get hit up by brands often to, to like do joint collaborations. And so like, it's just so interesting to see kind of what they want to do. And it's, we kind of think of it from like a, a fresh perspective every single time, but I'm working on one right now and it's been really nice. It's like, we're doing a blog together. Like I'm being on their podcast. We're doing a webinar together. And then there's a little bit of like LinkedIn collaboration from like a posting perspective, but they don't want their company name, like talked about it all. They want the category talked about sure. and bringing more eyes to that category. But they don't want to be named as a company. And like, I, I thought that was interesting. I was like, you know, you're paying a decent amount of money for this. And like over time, more people that I've talked to, because when they see me post about, they're like, Who, you know, why are you talking about this category that you don't normally talk about? And then we start talking, I'm like, oh, hey, I'm working with so-and-so company. And like, like, oh, like I'm looking for a tool like that. And then it just organically kind of happens. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, just on your last point, I think it's key to almost be, do things that like seem not smart, like don't have the you know company name or whatever, because I firmly believe in category creation. I know I had a comment on your post, but like I firmly believe that like if you build the category and you're positioned best in that category, you don't need to do, you know, hey, this is a sponsored ad buy or, you know, check out X company. So I think that's key. And I just want to dive like a little bit more deep on this evangelism before we kind of move on. For me, a benefit that I see is that you're getting an arbitrage of trust and people who listen to this person. What are other benefits of evangelism or like why should a company you're talking about B2B kind of MarTech sales tech, but like in that, I guess, speak directly to them, but like, why would a company use or try to leverage this strategy? I think just about like, think about like the, the paid media spend that you would typically pay. And I think it goes back to the social advocacy piece of it. But like, if your employees are building their own personal brands, think about that amplification. Your employees will have way more reach than any company page will have, at least in B2B for the most part. Um, B2C mm -hmm. is a little bit different, but you know, when I post and I can drive, you know, 50 to 60,000 views and then 20 other people from our company post and like we're driving a half million views per post, if we're talking about a specific topic, like our company page, like, and I know this because I've been running our company page up until um, probably about a week ago. And like, I post and like, I get like 1500 impressions on there, like 3000. It's nothing crazy. Um, and it's just, it's so interesting, the amplification piece of it. And I think like, you go back to that paid media spend, like, oh, I could invest this amount in ads, or I can double down on the advocacy of empowering our employees. And it will pay off way more than what you'll spend on ad spend. Yeah, what makes me what it makes me think of is almost like investing in something that looks kind of non sexy, but like man, that return like five years, two years, three years is stupid, and it just then enables you actually to not be so reliant on paid ads. As I find. Uh, 
for like any of the three to four listeners. I've done like very, very little, if any, paid advertising, but I've just done a lot of research in the fact that like it's almost a drug where once you start getting results from it, you can't just cut it off because you're driving results through it. Where with this advocacy or with the evangelism, whether it's your employees or someone like you, you're able to like not be so reliant on it where, yeah, obviously you could stop working with them, but they could use kind of like, so I, I think there's, there's a lot of, yeah, long-term benefits to this strategy of as employees, but also like kind of leveraging someone. And I think I've seen like Sangram or some other people in the marketing space do this chief evangelist role. And it was like confusing at first, but as you expand on it, it makes sense of why you would invest large amounts or some amount of money into it. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's and it's funny because like Sangram's someone that I've looked up to for a while. I'm like, I've always seen him doing that. And like, I'm part of Peak Community, which he has co-founded. And so like, just talking to him, like, I mean, he, people like think, oh, like he's just an evangelist. What does he even really do? Like he works his butt off. Like he is very, very, like he has so many things going on. But like, I'm seeing, uh, there was another guy, I think it was uh, the, someone from Uberflip. He's now like the chief evangelist or something like that. Mm -hmm. And like, it's just so interesting to see these like C-level execs that are like doubling down on like the evangelist. Like Vidyard is another good example where Tyler Lesser, like he's like the chief like video guy, like, um, like strategist. And so like, that's kind of what he's going with. But mm -hmm. like, it's all about content creation at the end of the day. And like, I'm not a content marketer by any means but I know how to create content for social and like LinkedIn's kind of like been my spot, but I have Twitter that I still kind of do on a daily basis. It's definitely not as good as like LinkedIn. And then TikTok is kind of like where I've started to move to just because I think a lot of B2B companies are starting to kind of go that way. Um, and that's just been like super fun for me. Yeah. Yeah. I've yet to get on the TikTok bandwagon. I've watched my wife get addicted to it at such a such a stronghold i mean like i'd be like hey you want to go to dinner and she'd you know be like ah but this tiktok i gotta watch it no i'm just kidding maybe that's how lame i am all right uh to jump off of this uh ledge on to another ledge that i think is a kind of fun question to ask you could argue it's simple but i get very different answers every time i ask it what is marketing for what is the job that marketing should get done in a company I think it's to make your customers' lives easier. Um, it's, you know, marketing is there to help be that support system to answer those questions. I mean, I think it goes back to where marketing and sales alignment, like everything is siloed or in a lot of companies, things are siloed. And you could say, oh, our marketing and sales team have great alignment. I call BS on that because like, even if you have, for the majority of good alignment, there's silos somewhere within that revenue organization. I've never not seen one. Um, and we have, we have silos right now that we're trying to fix, but we're doing a better job with it. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, marketing needs to make your prospects and customers' lives easier. And sales is kind of the one that's delivering on kind of like closing those opportunities, but marketing is removing those obstacles. Hmm. So would you say a simplified way of what you just said is marketing should make sales easier or less friction, more frictionless for sales? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think they should make sales lives easier. But I mean, it also comes back to the KPIs and metrics that matter. Like we don't push MQLs because everyone's, you know, marketing teams like, I'm just going to drive a ton of leads. Like sales teams don't get paid on leads. They get paid on revenue. And so being tied under one revenue organization and having that mindset of like, Hey, these are the KPIs and metrics. Like for me, like 
qualified pipeline to close one, if I can increase those conversion points by even like 8%, huge. And then it's like, if I can take non-qualified pipeline to qualified pipeline from like a stage movement, that's another piece that's big, but marketing alone won't change that. I think it's a company mindset at that point. Yeah, because if there's metrics in line, um, you know, that's saying I'm going to butcher it, but like people do what they're incentivized or what matters or what measure matters or gets done, whatever the cliche sayings are, they're very true. So if those metrics are off, but even just in what you're saying, I really like that of almost getting aligned metrics. So we're on the same team. It's not like we're trying to get interceptions and you're trying to get, you know, yards running. Like there's a combined, hey, let's keep the difference between our score and their score at 25 points. So it's like, okay, defense, you got to stop. You have to do X, Y, and Z offense. You have to do this. So yeah, it's it's more teamwork than kind of each are doing their own things, which definitely was a way of the past, I think, or at least how it was done for, and still is to your point. It still is. It's It's kind of about, finding the silos or seeing where they're at and doing your best job to destroy them. And even if they pop up kind of quickly bringing them down and you'll never be uh, perfect per se. Exactly. And it's just like understanding that like, may, and maybe it's even I'm, what I'm seeing more is like revenue marketing roles being compensated like salespeople. And I mean, I, I'm not compensated like that right now, but like if you were to tell me that I could take a little bit lower base, but I could get paid the kickers, the accelerators that the sales team gets based on what I'm driving. Like I'm all in for that because I know what salespeople make. And like, I was in sales before I moved to marketing and like, I just know like, Hey, let let me back up my word. Let me show you how good my marketing is and pay me for it. Like, don't cap me on something because I know I can drive X amount higher. Like, you know, and I think Mm -hmm. companies are going to start to, maybe pay revenue marketers more like that. Some companies do it today. Um, and I've talked to VPs of marketing and CMOs that have like said, like, yeah, for like certain functions within marketing, we are paying them commission style, oh. um, which is super interesting to me. Just like, think about that. Like then your earning potential is so much higher, but you have to step up to the plate. You can't just talk a big game and then like not deliver. Yeah. No, that's critical. I work in a very small business. So me and the founder, uh, we're tied to the marketing and sales. So there is really no uh, division there because it's all based on, yeah, I don't, I don't get paid per se, like sales or like very low in that sense and have this huge commission, but I do have it built in of like, Hey, you see the numbers every week, you know, where we're at. Like if we get more revenue, if we get more profit, like you will see that. And I think that's key because then it makes me not just do meanless marketing activities of like, Oh, I'll go edit this blog post thumbnail for like way too long because like, it doesn't matter what I do. Like I'm getting my salary. So yeah, that's, that's a really interesting topic. And I just love anytime there's contrarian actions being taken, kind of going one way where everybody else is kind of saying, Hey, we were just sticking with the status quo saying, Hey, let's change things up and at least see, uh, see what happens like a scientist per se. So with your definition of marketing kind of in place, how do you then look at marketing and say that was good marketing or that was bad marketing? And the rebuttal always is it depends. It's all about the perception of the person, blah, blah, blah. But if you had to put a stake in the ground and say, these are the parameters, this is how I view good marketing versus bad marketing. How would you explain that difference? I think it's, you know, are you impacting pipeline, source pipeline from a marketing perspective? Because you could influence pipeline, but if you're not sourcing the pipeline, like, is it really good marketing? I mean, I understand it. As a field marketer, I usually touch middle and bottom of the funnel and I'm not sourcing those types of things. However, 
I've also done ABM and like I've take a I've taken like top of funnel, I've taken like a full funnel kind of approach. And so when you're driving source pipeline and you're increasing, you know, the number of marketable database uh, names within your database that's tied to like named accounts or non-named accounts, but ones that are showing intent. If you're driving an increase in MQA, so like marketing qualified accounts, which is like what we look at, that's really, really good. Like what's the retention percentage look like? What does the mm. upsell percentage look like? I think it's more so of like, looking at it from the entire customer journey versus just picking in on saying like, all right, this is what matters for top of funnel. This is what matters for middle, bottom, like on the CS side, like it's all playing into the larger aspect. And I think there's different channels and tactics that work and, but really what matters is like, all right, are you creating demand and are you capturing that demand? And are you smart enough to say like, all right, if this isn't working, are we just going to continue to dump money into it? Or are we going to move to something else? Like for us, events has always been a big thing um, because we're a gifting company. Gifting has always been a very big thing, but like paid ads, we didn't spend a ton on paid ads last year. I think we were spending like, I don't know, it was probably like 10 grand a month. And like, we're now like doubling that this year mm. because we've seen the investment that it makes. Same for like search like we're doubling down on search and SEO. Um, and so I think it's just understanding what levers make the most sense for you. And then kind of like pulling down those levers to make sure that you're utilizing good marketing versus the bad marketing that isn't driving that pipeline mm. at the end of the day. Yeah, I really like tying it to somewhat of creating demand and capturing that demand just from the standpoint that something could look really good from a marketing standpoint, highly designed, well shot, whatever that piece of content or uh, ad is, but yeah, if it's not driving those, you know, I would argue it's bad marketing, even if I enjoy it per se, or if I, uh, yeah, I like that. That's a, that's a good kind of creating the dichotomy between uh, good and bad. And I think it's, it's crucial to understand. I read a book, good strategy, bad strategy, and it really spends a lot of time in the book. What is bad strategy? The four, you know, things of bad strategy, because if you can't understand how not to do it, you can't do it. You know, if you don't know any better, you can't do it better. So I think it's key sometimes to think through like, how are we? So then when I do it, how can I be somewhat objective rather than subjective and say, Hey, that was bad. That was good for what I did. So I yeah. like that. For sure. What is a strong held belief you have about marketing, a hill you're willing to die on, whether everybody is too, or nobody is like, what is that for you? And you might've talked a bit about it, but what is that strong belief? So, I mean, the, the field marketer in me is like, people have a misconception that failed marketing only equals events. And I think that's such like a myth that like, it was the old enterprise way of thinking that's what it was. However, mm. I've been championing like failed marketing 2.0, which is like, you're a full stack marketer. You are revenue driven. You are the Tom Brady of the team. You have your running backs, your wide receivers, your tight ends, your offensive line. You're all working collaboratively together to get across the end zone to score that revenue. But like, you're the one that's calling the plays at the end of the day. So you understand digital, you understand events, you understand kind of paid like content, all those things that are so important to know. You may not be executing the design aspect of it, but you know what you want this program and campaign to look like. And you're working strategically or cross-functionally to kind of pull that all together. And I think that's the mindset where we need kind of like more field marketers to think that way. And I think 
you know, even within the last year or so, it's definitely been a big, big change. But in some of the bigger enterprise companies, you still have people, especially enterprise sales reps, they say, oh, failed marketing, go plan this event for me. You're just an event planner. And like that mm. is the furthest thing from the truth. <laughs> Okay, that's good. I had that as a question. I wanted you to define field marketing. I'm like I said, a preamble to this. Uh, I'm young in my marketing journey, about four years in. So, like field marketing for me, like creates a very foggy kind of picture. So, could you just define field marketing 1.0? And now that what you were just talking about, define that in clear terms for me, so I kind of have a before and after a better understanding. Yeah, absolutely. So 1.0 was very much just events. Like think of trade shows. You take a booth, you show up an event, you scan leads. That's really it. You don't care about the outcome of what it is. You just say to your sales team, hey, I scanned 500 leads at this event. Go call them. That's it. Like you're not going to, I mean, yeah, you may get a few people, but let's be honest. These people at trade shows are mostly tire kickers that just want free swag and don't really care what you're offering them. The real magic that happens is everything from like, a pre-show, during the show, and post-event to kind of bring it all together to create a strategy for a specific trade show. I, I hate trade shows, to be honest with you. I don't hate trade shows to be there. I hate trade show booths. And, and people, and I posted this on LinkedIn, and people kind of like got angry at me. But like, <laughs> I would much rather say, you know, some of these trade show booths cost $200,000, $250,000, and you're stuck by oh. the bathroom. I would much rather take that and figure out a way to deliver one-on-one -on -one meetings with my exec team, with the key people and the key accounts that are at that event. And I think that's why, and I'll go into the field marketing 2.0 piece. I think it's understanding what that pre-show looks like. Are you running, you know, digital ads? Are you doing outreach to your key accounts mm. that you know are going to be there? Are you doing the research versus just showing up and passing out t-shirts? Um, and then it's executing on like, all right, are we going to do a dinner there? Are we going to, you know, I've geofenced like trade shows and served up like specific like target ads before and like drove them to a specific uh, like bar that we were doing an event at. Wow. That, was, that was pretty fun. And like just different types of things. And then it's like the post event. No one wants another email that says, hey, saw you stop by at the booth at so-and-so trade show. Here's five things you probably don't care about our product um, <laughs> because it's all happened. We've all been there. It just yeah. gets into like your marketing automation system and it gets sent off. But like, what can you do to create a personalized experience for your target accounts that have visited you or talked to you at these shows? And that's why I think all three are incredibly important, but it goes kind of by the wayside sometimes. And so you need kind of like a 2.0 field marketer that's revenue driven that knows how to pair with sales, knows how to specifically target accounts. And I think mm. account-based marketing falls into it. I think the digital component falls into it, but you really just want to have these conversations with your target accounts. And if that's the best, best place to have it, then great. But you need to make that most of that 10 minutes that you're going to have with them or whatever the number is, and then follow up in a very personalized way after. Hmm. That that's helpful for me. So it was almost from a very one dimensional uh, kind of point of view to now it's almost more 3D. It's you're doing like you just kind of walked us through, which was really awesome. Kind of the pre event post. There's so much to really. And then to your point about the quarterback, they might not be sending the email. They might not be doing some of these bits, 
but they're the one who has to orchestrate almost like architect archetype the whole thing like make it happen in that sense rather than just showing up for the event doing the event and leaving and you know letting whatever happens outside happen because hey i'm just a field marketer like i'm not doing the email or whatever so that's really that's a really good way to break it up i i I now kind of understand a little bit better field marketing for sure and i I think it's and and one more thing that i kind of want to say is like you know field i feel like field marketing the term could go away a little because if you think about it most b2b SaaS companies um they're not out in the field like they used to be pre-covid and it's like everything is pretty much done virtually now i know in-person events are coming back but like it's much more revenue marketing maybe you call it like regional revenue marketers or, or whatever um but it just makes more sense. And I, I think a lot of companies have already made that shift, but it's just the mindset. Like people just think like field marketing is X, Y, Z, and they just kind of go with that. Yeah, I, I could see you building out that category, whatever that name is, you know, the dark social, right? Putting a name on it. Cause I feel naming is so important, but also the hardest part of a lot of things is getting the right name that sticks and people actually like saying, uh, rather than like protophylactic naps, but now we say power naps because nobody wants to take a protolactic whatever nap. So yeah, that's good. What is a what is a mistake or a failure you've made in your career in marketing that like now you look back and you're not like I'm happy, you know, I forgot to update our SSL certificate, so our website went down during Black Friday or something. But like what was that mistake or failure that you look back on positively somewhat now? I, I think it was just not, and I don't think there was any specific thing, but it was more of like not being afraid to feel Cause trust me, I've, I've failed a ton through different things. I've been fired from a job before, which ended up being a blessing in its disguise. Honestly, I've been laid off a bunch of times. Like I've gone through a bunch and I think it's just kind of like coming back and figuring out how can you learn from the mistakes that you've done. And like, it's okay to fail. Like no one's saying that it's not okay to fail. And like, if you're feeling fast and learning from it, though, it's a completely different story. And I think taking those learnings to figure out what you can do next is important to kind of continue your growth journey. I like that. I appreciate that kind of expanding on. Yeah, we don't all have uh, big failures or things that we remember succinctly, but it is that mindset that makes failure into an opportunity or a blessing rather than saying, oh, I got laid off whatever I'm going to go sulk. You're kind of figuring out what do I do now? And I think that's key. So you have on your LinkedIn bio, I believe you kind of talk about, you want to disrupt the marketing industry like Seth Godin. You're eager to branch out and establish yourself as a future thought leader. Why is that? Like, where does that, what's the impetus for that? Well, so when I originally like was thinking of that, it was, you know, doubling down on the field marketing 2.0. It's like, I want people in, in like, it's, it's been, honestly, it's been great because I feel like I've branched out from talking about field marketing. Like for the first six months of posting on LinkedIn, all I talked about was field marketing and I've branched out to do just really pretty much anything at this point, but like, it's always what people remember me for, or, or like recognize for me, or like, they'll say, Hey, like, are you willing to come on this podcast or speak at this event to talk about field marketing and like how field marketing has changed because of COVID and all these things. And like, I feel like that's now what I'm recognized for, which is fine. Like I don't, I'm a field marketer heart. I always will be. Um, but I think it's so interesting because I feel like 
the 2.0, and I need to come up with a better name for it, to be honest with you, but like just like evangelizing the true like misconceptions of what field marketing is, how it benefits a revenue organization. Like it's, it's disrupted marketing. Honestly, I can tell you, I've had CMOs and VPs of marketing, like talk to me and say like, Hey, like I'm thinking of building out this organization. What do you think it should look like? And like, I help them and like, just tell them like, Hey, it's not just events. Like we go through everything. Like where should they sit? Do they report to demand gen? Are they their own function within marketing? It's, I feel like it's made a big, big difference over the last two years. That's awesome. Yeah, you just got really meta because you were talking about evangelizing field marketing 2.0. It's just like every topic we've talked about coming into one just explosion, a black hole that sucks the uh, <laughs> two to three listeners. And I like that. No, that's cool, man. I'm I'm someone who who has who's had have and will, you know, have big dreams, right? So I really, you know, appreciated reading that and kind of seeing to me what you're saying is I want to make a bigger impact in a sense. Like I want what I do in this marketing, in this space to be remembered somewhat like Seth Godin because of how influential he was with permission marketing and with kind of how he changed it. And now, you know, he's remembered maybe for some different things, but he's really kind of on this different wave. If you listen to his akimbo and kind of what he's really trying to do with some of his, um, kind of like schools or is, is kind of education. Uh, so yeah, that's really cool. And that intrigued me. Uh, like I said, um, reiterating to myself, I have big dreams too. So I like finding people that kind of dream outside the box or just dream in general. Even It's, it's if you're not dreaming, are you even living? <laughs> yes. Put that on a yeah. t-shirt with some Biggie or Tupac's <laughs> face on it. Hell yeah. All right. Well, one last question before I jump into the three final questions. Why authentic authenticity over vanity metrics? Why do we, why should we kind of not throw vanity metrics out, but care more about authenticity? I mean, think about it. Like people buy from people at the end of the day. If I bring my entire self onto any social platform, I want people to know who I am, what I stand for. And ultimately down the road, who knows if we work together, like what you would get from an employee or a coworker, like, what does that look like? And I've always believed that, like, listen, like I don't get, and I actually made a post about this today. Like you have some big creators and like, even I look at them and I'm just like, you know, they post something and they're getting 500 likes within like an hour. And then I have to like smack myself and like go back to like grounding and like, Hey, it doesn't matter. Like all of those vanity metrics, it's, compounding day after day and for two years of doing this like march alone this year i will drive a million views from the content that i create myself and you know you have these bigger creators that like you know they get that it's not it's nothing to them but like for me like to see that growth that i've had and to know that like hey from posting twice a day monday to friday on linkedin for march i will drive a million views and like, just think about that. That's like, that's amazing. And it's, I think part of it is pe people think that I'm a likable person, which I hopefully am. Like I try to come across as like, not just like, Hey, like this is my way or the highway. Like I want to, if, if I'm wrong or if, you know, you disagree with me, like, let me know, like, I'm okay. We're all adults. We can, we can talk it out. Um, it's not my way or like, you know, you're just not going to agree with me or I'm going to blacklist you from commenting on my stuff. Like I'm fine with disagreement, just do it in a polite way. Um, and I think that authenticity and just kind of being yourself is the reason that you create content versus wanting to create content because you feel like you need to, 
with because you see people posting and getting you know a thousand likes on something like i've never gone viral i hope to god i never will go viral like i just i like i like the you know i like the consistency of showing up every day and like you know i post i get like you know 75 to 150 likes and a bunch of comments a bunch of dms and like that's cool with me like i don't need anything more than that yeah, no, I like that. I definitely confirm a lot of stuff you said. I had a comment on one of your posts last week and, and it was a good, I don't, I don't think I added another comment, but there was some back and forth and it was, you know, kind of, at least for me, helpful to see a just humanity restored that we can have these debating conversations without instantly, you know, saying something personal or whatever. And I think it's key to, to marketing and that's not a metric you can't really measure as kind of comments maybe, but like having those conversations because you're authentic you're open to that and i would totally agree like i am someone who has like 37 subscribers on my daily newsletter and like i don't care about getting it to a thousand a hundred whatever because i know with those people i'm building such resonance that is far better than any of the reach i could get and i think that's maybe something too that's baked into this authenticity versus vanity is almost a thing of hey reach was it for the longest time i want to get attention i'm going to rip my shirt off and start myself on fire i want attention so bad where now it's like Anybody can get attention. Anybody can go viral. It's more about resonating. It's keeping those people with you for as long as possible and having them enjoy you in authenticity is, I think, the key to that. I've at least found that being open and vulnerable and transparent. Yeah, 100% agree with you. Awesome. All right. Now to the final three questions. First two will be somewhat marketing related. The final one will be a little bit off base. Just wanted to preamble you on that. All right. First question. What is one thing, and you might've talked about it, is one thing that you've changed your mind on in regards to marketing in the past one, two, three, four, five years? So I thought quantity was it. Post 100 pieces of content a day. Now I'm saying quality is it. Let's post one good piece. Like, what is that for you? I think it goes back to just like the LinkedIn piece of like the, the quantity, like thinking that you need all of these vanity metrics versus understanding what the quality piece and the consistency piece mm -hmm. that is delivered to me for two years, like sponsorship deals. I have two podcasts. Like I've been able to get jobs without interviewing or ever needing a resume. Like it's all about the compounding effect that it has and it's okay to not have a need to go viral i have the need to have like hundreds of likes on every single thing that you post like i guarantee you and most of those people that get all these crazy engagement are probably in pods anyways and so i mean that's another whole story but like I would much <laughs> rather just have the consistency piece and then just knowing like, Hey, I can back this up. Like I've done this for two years and these are the seven streams of, uh, seven like revenue streams that I've been able to create for myself. Yeah, definitely. No, I like that. I think it is a change to go from that reaching an X number on views, followers or whatever to really saying, hey, I'm going to show up and do the work every day and let the work kind of talk for itself and connect with people. Obviously, you don't want to just show up and kind of post stuff at people. So yeah, I like that. All right. Second question. There's a movie called Inception. Maybe you've watched it. Maybe not. It was with Leonardo DiCaprio. But anyway, it's a movie about how people go in each other's dreams in their mind and they implant incept ideas that then the next day that person wakes up and they're like, I'm going to sell my company. It's a great idea. It's my idea. So what is that idea that you incept in the minds of all the marketers on this planet that tomorrow they wake up in the belief, the idea you incepted, they think is theirs and they ask 
act out of it? What is that idea? I think doubling down on LinkedIn conversational ads. Um, and also, <laughs> the reason that I mentioned that okay. is like, I'm actually doing a, a, a talk upcoming on like LinkedIn conversational ads in your ABM strategy. But like, it's such an untapped area that a lot of B2B people aren't using. And like, the amount of pipeline and revenue that's driven for me um, is huge. And it's still like, you can bid like a dollar fifty and still get into so many people's inboxes right now compared to like, give it another hmm. year. And I guarantee you it'll be up to like, you know, seven, $8 just to get into someone's inbox. Hmm. Okay. So that's what it is, is it's those direct messages. Some guys like, Hey, I want to buy you an Amazon gift card to uh, have you view yeah, the product exactly. or whatever. That's, yep, that's a play. Exactly. Yeah, that guy sadly got ignored, but it was probably not because of his outreach. I just, uh, at the time, I didn't want to buy any more Amazon books or books from Amazon. I'm a really bad addiction to that. All right, final question. I like that answer. That was unique. Final question. What is one thing outside of business and marketing that you do that when you come back to do business and marketing, you just do it better? So for me, that's going for long walks on the beach while eating fries that I found in between my seats. What is that thing for you? Oh man, I don't know if I can like match that. Honestly, I was gonna say I was gonna say going for walks. Like I, I, I go for walks like twice a day, um, and I just wow. I, I usually will listen to a podcast and just kind of like zone out. Like I don't look at my phone. Like you know, Slack messages, emails, all that stuff can wait. And I just kind of like zone out and just like take in like everything around me. Like I have this where I live, I have, um, it's like a three mile loop. And so I try to walk that every single day. And just like now that the weather's getting warmer up here, it's like, you know, it's 60 degrees today. It's nice to just kind of like get out, like be in the fresh air, like hear all the sounds that are going on. Cause I usually just like put one AirPod in and like listen to the podcast, but then have my other one empty so I can like take in all the sounds as well. I feel like it just like yeah. clears my mind, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's so much on a specifically ad writers that say you got to go work out, you got to deplug or unplug the brain to allow thoughts to ruminate to kind of find other thoughts that they wouldn't have if you were just focused on it. So yeah, I do walks too. I just, I don't actually eat the fries in between the seat. I just, I just was given the example. But yeah, I know I also walk once or twice a day as well. And that's a very therapeutic, but also kind of a creativity charging activity that then I come back and I'm even better uh, than I left. That's good. All right. Final part of the podcast. I like to just open up for you. You have a lot going on. It sounds like you have two podcasts, all that stuff. So right here, anything you say, I'll put in the show notes for the three to four listeners that are still here with us at this point, but kind of the stage is yours. Take it, plug anything to the outlet. Yeah, no, I mean, if, if, yeah, I appreciate that. Like, you know, find me on LinkedIn. Um, if you are interested in marketing content, personal branding content, just like bringing my authentic self onto there. Um, but also listen to my podcast. So I have two. So Rep Your Brand is my main one. So it's personal branding for B2B marketers. I've had, you know, Chris Walker, Justin Welsh, Dave Gerhardt, um, you know, Amanda Natividad, like all these people on there. It's, I think I've done like 37 episodes now. Um, and then I have wow. a second one, which I've taken a break from for a little bit, but it's called Real ABM. So realabm.com. And it, I interviewed six B2B marketers on like tactical, like what does their ABM strategies look like? And so the website's still live. Um, there just hasn't been any like fresh content in like eight months. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, those are good. Yeah, definitely check those out. Those are some really cool names that you were uh, name dropping. So yeah, I would highly check those out. And from experience, definitely check out uh, Nick's stuff on LinkedIn as I always enjoy seeing your posts are always engaging in the sense of making me think different or uh, getting me to comment because I know you're open to kind of a little bit of discourse. So I love that. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate this so much for you coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having fun. me. This was a blast. Awesome. All right. This is the end of the podcast.